Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to connect you with people and resources to remind you that you're not alone. In this special edition episode, number 221, it's the audio recording from our live event that happened here in Dallas a few weeks ago with Jim and Lynn Jackson of Connected Families. Now, this evening when we chatted together, we focused in on discipline. I view it as Discipline 101. Here's a little clip from the show. And then the the soul piece of it is really about what am I believing about myself and my child in this situation? Am I believing that if I don't get immediate obedience from my child, I'm either a bad mom or they're a bad kid? You know, if that's kind of where we start, that that's my job to get immediate obedience, then as soon as my child misbehaves, they've blocked my goal of getting immediate obedience and I'm going to go into an anger reaction. It's just kind of simple. So if I shift my goal to be, my job is to parent wisely. And it's my child's job over time to learn to make wise choices. Then that's a different goal, one that I'm in control of. Wise parenting so that they can make wise choices. That has stuck with me. Y'all, I parented differently after Friday night's conversation. Saturday morning was different. And yet, I got back into old habits, and so it was so good for me to go back and even listen to this show again. It's long, but it's worth it. We're going to talk about toddler discipline, our own junk as parents, when we have the chance to do do do-overs, strong-willed kids. It's all great stuff. But before we get to it, I want to tell you about some amazing sponsors that made the event even better. Not only did they make it better, they also caused me to cry as I was creating the Google Slides for the event because I was thinking about each giveaway and swag item was from a mom doing her thing. And I love that. I love that so many women are out there walking through their gifts and doing what God's calling them to do, whether it's ministry or jewelry or serving in whatever way they can. So I've put links to every single sponsor in the show notes over at don'tmomalone.com. I encourage you to go check it out with Christmas coming up. Great gift options over there and just things to make your family life better. Thank you so much, LifeWay Books, for your books from Nikki Coziart and Lisa Harper and Kayla Amy, all women who've been on this show. Thank you to Family Tree Edition. That's a tree. My friend who helps families with their home tradition, she wants to grow families closer together, and she's there to help you out. Of course, Laura Casey and her team at Cultivate What Matters Shop, go check out their Write the Word journals that they so generously gave our ladies. And then She Reads Truth, Rachel Myers was just on the show. Um, Go check their Bible studies out and their Bible and even her book. And then a new up-and-coming product, Saints of June, my friend Kate Ward and her company. If you need PJs that transition to carpool line, that will be launching soon. Go check them out at Saints of June. My friend over at the Porter Box, she created these beautiful Don't Mom Alone necklaces and Zephaniah-verse necklaces uh, and gave those away. My friend Jackie Drew over at Rad Joy has a daily joy prayer guide. If you need help with your prayer life, go check that out. And then Courtney DeFeo at Treasured Girls, she has created a Bible study for moms and daughters, first through eighth grade, to help them grow in their servant hearts. And then my friend Jana over at Waterloo Style, her beautiful leather feather earrings. I love them. And Birds and Bees, Megan Michelson and Mary Flo Ridley, they have a curriculum you can host in your house, uh, your own little helping parents talk to your kids about the birds and the bees. And of course, Laurel Denise and her leather bracelets that say, Don't Mom Alone. Thank you so much to all of you for making this event even better and more special and just a chance to highlight your beautiful skills and even our desserts from Sweet Creations by Karina. That mom was there 
piping whipped cream into these adorable cheesecakes in a cup. And her boys were right there by her side. And I just loved watching her do her thing so beautifully. All right, let's get to my conversation with Jim and Lynn. Here we go. Uh, so this is my husband, Bruce. Hi. Hello. Hi. I didn't really greet you very well. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the guy that keeps me afloat. And when I'm doing things, he will watch the boys and encourages me when I'm ready to give up. And on our Saturday morning walks, helps me strategize when I don't want to strategize. And so that y'all still have content to listen to. So y'all really should thank him because... You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. And our special guests on the podcast today are Jim and Lynn Jackson from Connected Families. And I think I found them because they sent me an email. I think their people sent me an email. And I started looking at their stuff and I was like, oh my goodness, this is the perfect blend of biblical truth and practical help that I've been looking for since my kids were little. I just felt like there wasn't really a good option. There was high theoretical stuff, and then there was um, some practical ideas that didn't really fit my family well or felt really disconnected, like I didn't make sense to me to do. And so their stuff finally felt like the lights all went on and everything was clicking. And so I was thrilled to have them on the show, not just once, but multiple times. They talked about entitlement and sibling rivalry. If you haven't listened, you can go back to those. They talked me through my... Uh, car ride across the country one Thanksgiving. They, all the horror of that car ride. Like I did the interview when we'd already arrived at in Alabama, and so they were talking me off the cliff of, of decompressing from that experience. But thank you, Jim and Lynn, for being here. Let's welcome them up to the stage. Hi. Hello, hello. Okay, so... I mentioned the leather bracelets that I put on Instagram and asked for questions as an entry for the giveaway. Oh, my Lanta. People have needs. People need serious help with parenting because it took me all of an hour to copy and paste and put them into a 10-page Google Docs single-spaced. I mean, this is real. You are not alone in parenting being hard. Really. Yeah. It was Heather sent that to us, and we sent it back. We said, this is too many questions. Narrow it down a little bit. We have three days. Y'all are, just settle in. Hopefully, we'll share the cheese. Um, I, I, did, I did narrow them down, and we decided to focus tonight's conversation on uh, the parents' side of things individually, discipline, and then the kids. There were a lot of questions about emotions and difficult children. And then, since some of you won't be back tomorrow, we are recording it, and you can listen in. We're going to talk about relationships, so husband-wife relationships, sibling relationships, friendships, how to stay connected as a family unit. So that's how we've kind of divided the two events. Are we ready to get started? You betcha. We're ready. Can we give... These questions were so scary even to us. (laughs) So you don't have all the answers. That we felt a little bit of a need to sort of give a preamble before you started asking Oh, I asking love that. Them. Please Can do that. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. So it sounded like a number of you have heard of us before, and that's cool, but maybe some of you haven't. Uh, but I worked with high-risk teens in the early 90s, and Lynn was an occupational therapist, and um, we had lots and lots of parents come to us on a regular basis saying, um, here's what's wrong, help me fix it. 
with a lot of intensity. And parents, you know, imagine all of the different kinds of things, anything from three-year-old parents who are parents of three-year-old kids whose, whose kids, you know, don't want to eat their peas to parents of teenagers who won't come home and who um, are using drugs and whose friends we don't like and who are stealing the car and so on and everything in between. And parents are urgent. They, they have great intentions. They want what's best for their kids. And when they, when, they, when they would come to us, we did everything we could to, to give them a quick answer because we knew this could be our only shot. Mm. And we found that often we were disappointed with the answers that we gave because we just realized we missed some things. And B, we figured out uh, pretty quickly that parents were often disappointed too. It's like, oh, some other crazy idea and we'll try that and it didn't work and they're on to the next thing. Here's the thing about, about parenting that we discovered a long time ago that we've tried to capture in this is that the, the process by which people become excellent parents across the board is pretty similar. Across cultures, across demographics, uh, what it takes to be a great parent at the core level is basically what we've studied and described on this magnet. What that looks like for each of us, how do we grow a strong foundation of faith whereby I know who I am because of what Jesus did and I'm walking to grow in my relationship with God, Um, that's unique. Uh, Some of you will use those devotional books that Heather just gave away and you'll love them and others of you will try and then you'll feel bad that it didn't work for you. (laughs) Well, that's just because you're different. You're wired like me. Uh, The the first former of you are wired like Lynn. Uh, we're very different. But we each grow a strong foundation. And we each work then out of that foundation to do things to connect with our kids. What's connection? Connection is that stuff we do to make sure our kids know they're loved no matter what. And they're enjoyed. And they're enjoyed. And the way that I connected with our kids, very different than how you connected with our kids. Yeah. What so he basically just did is gave you the of their framework right. on that magnet, the triangle. The very bottom is the foundation, mm-hmm. which is yeah. about you as a parent and yeah. your and then he's moving you on to the connection yes, piece. Yes. And I connected much more kind of serious and let's do projects together and, you know, that kind of thing. And Jim was just boisterous and, hey, you, you, I feel so strongly about you. You know, it was that kind of stuff. And we had very different <laughs> styles. You're kind of cute when you do that. I want you to do that again. <laughs> but as we embraced, you know, our, our uniquenesses, then we could agree on this is important and how do we each connect yep. and that kind of thing. Keep going up the... Okay. So then the um, next layer. So yes. we've got the foundation, as we, as, connection. Right. As we're getting our value from Jesus, we're connecting well with our kids, then they're really open to our coaching, our building values and skills that's going to equip them for life um, and help them to walk in their calling. Just simple things of just practicing, you know, how to get along with their sibling or just doing, uh, you know, chores and just some of those things. But with an eye for, you're built to do good things that God has created you for to, to do. And... Uh, the last part of the pyramid was what everybody came to us for. The top of it is about correction. People want help solving their problems. And these questions are largely correction-oriented. Uh, we've got this problem. How can you help us solve it? What Lynn and I learned early on, and we want to make sure is clear here tonight, we can't do our answers justice without looking through the lens of this framework that's on that magnet. And we've actually developed a saying in our ministry that the magnet says it all. If you want to learn more and dig deeper, we offer all sorts of resources. Um, there's books on the table. We have online courses. We have, you know, then we do the podcasts with, with Heather and others. That, you know, as much as we can to equip you to be parents who build a strong foundation, who connect well with your kids, who coach them, and who correct them in love to help them remember four important things, and that's what's on the right side of the magnet. 
Because if, if all that we do doesn't communicate these four powerful messages to our kids about who they are, then we've, we've somehow missed something. Our good intentions haven't landed on them. When we build a strong foundation, we're safe people. We're people of grace. We communicate to our kids and to those around us, you're safe with me because God's at work here. We communicate to our kids, you're loved no matter what you do, no matter how you behave, no matter what patches you come home with on your jeans or how you cut your hair or what you do with the milk when I pour it for you. (laughs) Uh, You're loved no matter what. And, And we need to work as parents to make sure that our love comes alive, especially when we're disciplining our kids that they don't lose sight of the fact that just because I behaved badly doesn't mean that mom or dad doesn't love me anymore. And then we communicate, you're called and capable. Capable of using those gifts of yours for good things, not misbehavior. And capable of solving problems with your family members. And capable of making wise choices. And capable of learning and growing. That sense of we're learners, we're all capable of learning uh, important things is important messages. And then the final message at the top of correction um, is about you are responsible for your actions to make right what you've made wrong. It's not about me just giving you this painful punishment that's going to stop you in your tracks and make sure you never do that again. But it's about holding you accountable to realize, wow, this is your life, your relationships. You get to make right what you've made wrong. And that builds a sense of personal responsibility in kids. So we want you to hear any answers we give tonight through that lens because any answer that we give after seeing things this way for over 20 years is going to flow through it whether we allude to it or not. Uh, so I wanted to give that preamble yeah, no, that's to good. us because there's some heavy-duty stuff there, here. There certainly <laughs> is, and I thought we'd start with that foundation, yes. the yeah. safe, um, with the parents. How do you parent? This is your all's question. You may not be here, but somebody sent this in. How do you parent proactively instead of reactively, so patiently and lovingly, when you feel like you're just surviving minute by minute, how do you keep from being overwhelmed? Just fix it, right? Yeah, right, right. Just stop it. Next question, please. Stop it. (laughs) Well, that's a foundation question, as you said. Um, And I really like to think of it in terms of, you know, it's a body, soul, and spirit question. In our body, it's like if we are exhausted. Um, it's really tough to respond that way. So do we cut back on our activities so that we're not like running at this frenetic pace? Um, And what we do in our body in the heat of the moment makes a big difference as well. If I stand up and I have my hands on my hips and I'm pointing at my child, my body is sending messages to my brain of fight or flight, and it's going to increase my anger and my intensity. If I sit down... And I take a breath, and I even sit down on the floor. My body sends messages to my brain that you're not under attack. It'll be okay. And you can calm down. So it's like there's a loop between our brain and our body, and we can use that to our advantage when we feel like, you know, we're just going to blow our top. So that's the body piece of it. And then the, the soul piece of it is really about what am I believing about myself and my child in this situation? Am I believing that if I don't get immediate obedience from my child, I'm either a bad mom or they're a bad kid? You know, if that's kind of where we start, that that's my job to get immediate obedience, then as soon as my child misbehaves, they've blocked my goal of getting immediate obedience, and I'm going to go into an anger reaction. It's just kind of simple. So if I shift my goal to be my job is to parent wisely, 
And it's my child's job over time to learn to make wise choices. Then that's a different goal, one that I'm in control of. So what am I believing about myself is an important question, an important aspect of the soul. And then the spirit piece is just bringing God's grace into our messy moments. And I can remember the time that I was nose to nose with my son. Um, I think I was trying to get him into the tub and he was trying to escape. And I just because I'd been doing so much soul work, spirit work in my devotionals about God's grace, all of a sudden I had this huge realization. I looked at him and I said, you know what, Daniel? God has so much mercy on us in our conflict here, in our messes. He knows how hard it is for you and I to get along, and he loves us. That just brought so much grace and healing, and we just were able to solve our problem. But the point is, it's like, do I know God's grace for me in the midst of that moment? Because if I can't get a hold of God's grace for me, I can't pass it on to my children. So basically looking for those different red flags, the different areas of body, soul, spirit, and attending to those if you're finding yourself reacting a lot. I'm, I tend more towards a reactive parenting style. I have a witness here, y'all. <laughs> we, can, we can attest that we do not have this figured out. Y'all did not come because you know Heather and Bruce have raised amazing children and they have it figured out, just FYI. Yeah, and, I, and as I hear that, it's so clear that rarely do we need to add more intensity to the situation. <laughs> right and, and and right and we're already generally larger than our kids too right so and if I think if I think of somebody coming to me who is taller than me and coming in you know, hot I'm going to stop listening right so a lot of this really applies to just even how we process mm-hmm. you know correction from a boss or somebody mm-hmm. else that we live with as well mm. yeah for sure yeah I want to say a couple of things because Lynn and I uh, came at being calm as parents very differently. <laughs> um, and Lynn had these disciplines really on the spirit side and Lynn worked by the time our youngest of three uh, was back in kindergarten she worked full time she worked all along through their years just sort of backed away as we had more kids and then stepped it up until they all were in school again so you were down to about a day and a half a week uh, when all three were at home but as soon as they started going to school Lynn started working more um, you're a professional woman uh, our kids were involved in all of the different things the kids are involved in we were very involved in our church um, th- there was all sorts of stuff going on and I never once heard you make the excuse that I'm so busy I just can't collect myself and that's because and I, I get emotional about this um, Lynn was tenacious to say I know that if I don't have my quiet time I'm not the mom I want to be and so she did what she had to do to, to get up early, to give the kids to me this morning. If you had to sleep in a little bit or whatever, you were tenacious to get alone with God and journal and think about what are the things that I keep thinking that are counterproductive and what are the things as I hold that stuff against God's word that I can think that's aligned with God's purposes for me and empower me to go to the bathtub and say, God has so much mercy on us in this struggle. She fought that fight. Now, I looked at her, and for a while I was like, well, I can never do, I'm never going to do that. That's not me. And my deal was different. I took walks. I refreshed in different ways. I had to use my car rides to settle down after work and to turn on some music and be in touch with God when I sh- showed up at home. Um, much more random, but still very committed to connecting with my source. 
so that I didn't lean on my kids to be my source. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to add that because we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that discipline. That's very good. I think that's very helpful on the foundation side of things. So let's move into um, what you kind of talked about, the second layer with love. How do we communicate disappointment in behaviors and choices without communicating being disappointed in my child? How do we walk that fine line of allowing freedom to fail but not enabling or shaming a child for it? I think a lot of times my kids, like there was something that happened at school and the teacher called just yesterday. This is real life, people. And I asked my son this morning. He hadn't told me about it. I said, do you want to tell me? He's like, no, I don't want you to get mad. Awesome. (laughs) You won't even tell. I said, I promise I won't get mad. But him saying that means I do get mad when you make mistakes. So I don't want to tell you because you will get mad. So, yeah, I'm waiting for this answer because obviously I need it. So much of it is going into a situation peaceful inside. So instead of starting with the, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did it. You know, it's like, what are we thinking as we go into that interaction? Um, And a really significant thing for me was to learn to just divert whatever I was thinking to the question, Lord, what's the opportunity here? And then I could go in and um, just start out more peacefully and look for an opportunity as opposed to just how am I going to stop this problem. So then it's more like, wow, what's going on in here? Let's see. Uh, how are we going to fix this? And what, you know, what do you think happened here? And what was good about that and what wasn't good about that? So then my focus more is on helping my kids build wisdom than feeling like I need to communicate disappointment. Because if it's about, gee, how do I communicate disappointment, then it's really hard to separate out. Uh, Mommy's disappointed in my actions, but not in me. It's like everything's a learning opportunity. So um, I don't really need to express disappointment. I can go, wow, how did that go at school? That was kind of tough. I bet you felt a little discouraged about that. Do you think that I love you less because the teacher called? Do you think I love you less because you're kind of having a little trouble there? Not at all. I just want to help you figure out what you might do so that you could be a little more encouraged and feel good about what you're learning. How do you think I could help you? You see the difference? It's like kind of trusting that my child really usually wants to do better as opposed to I have to figure out how to get them to feel disappointed too. More often than not, especially with the kids that are going, I didn't do it, he did it, or it's not my fault, or I don't want to talk about it, or those are the kids that are most sensitive that already feel bad. So it's how can I help them figure out what they want to do about it? That's good. Anything, anything, Jim, to add to that? Well, I I thought immediately about about a couple of different things. One is, do you all follow football down here? (laughs) What was your statistic, Bruce, the opening day of NFL? Oh, yeah. As uh, eight of the 32 starting quarterbacks for the NFL week one were all born and raised in Texas. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Wow. So we do wow. Go Texas. Here, so you do you guys are impressive. Here, just a little bit, yeah. A little bit. I, I actually got told, so I'm missing my alma mater's homecoming game tomorrow. Uh, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Texas. And they said, don't tell them you're missing football to be there. They'll, they'll kick you out and send you home. <laughs> But I do, I think about a football analogy for me, and it's actually been really helpful over time. Uh, And the football analogy is that every single 
productive football play begins by going backwards before you go forwards. Even the quarterback sneak. You take a step back, you figure out which lane you're going to go in, and you jump for your yard. Um, if you did that play every time, though, you'd start getting stuffed fast. Uh, and so all the plays, forward progress in a football game begins with backward steps. And I found that as a dad, if I just went forward first with my disappointment, with my anger, with my frustration that, some, that I didn't get heard, that they didn't listen again, or that they're picking on each other that way again, or that they didn't do what I told them to do the way I told them to do it, if I went forward without going backwards first, I almost never liked the dad that I was. But if I learn to go backwards, not just sometimes a three-step drop, but sometimes a five and sometimes a seven, (laughs) the better I got at going backwards, the more of the kind of perspective Lynn is talking about that I could start to get. And one of the perspectives that was really helpful to me was to parse out behavior from identity. It's okay to be disappointed in behavior. Son, that wasn't what I was expecting. need you to know, though, for a minute, it doesn't change my love for you. It doesn't change my care for you. It doesn't change my belief in you. I love you, buddy, but listen... We got we to gotta take another look at this because you, you, it seems like maybe you weren't listening before the way that you ought to. And before you go on with life, we're going to deal with this together. You want to take a break and wait or do you want to deal with it now? Uh, I was so much wiser when I, when I, A, took those steps backwards mm-hmm. and acknowledged, gosh, I'm disappointed because, because it's about me. Something going on inside of me. I don't need to be disappointed in what happened because maybe I didn't make the instructions clear. Maybe my child is overwhelmed by what I'm asking him or her to do. Maybe they've got stuff going on in their life that as I've taken this step back to get perspective, I can see that I wasn't seeing before that helps me now come to them with some compassion. And so taking those steps back and parsing out um, behavior from identity, uh, super helpful for me to, to not communicate that message, you're such a disappointment in me because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And there, that's about identity, right? Mm. This, is, this is resonating, Jim. Yeah. yeah, this is good. Well, t- so, so can, I ch- t- can I turn the microphone yes. around a little bit? Because what's resonating? I mean, what are you hearing in Oh, that? I am just knowing that it has been a long journey the last couple of years. <laughs> the opposite. Um, so... Can I just say... Tomorrow morning is going to be new mercies for Miss Heather. We're going to start again. Try this again. This is why we love you so much, though. Oh, because my look at, Lanta. You, I mean, Lynn and I, when we, we, we blew it a ton, and I could tell you story upon story about that, but when you blow it, instead of going, what is wrong with me? I'm such a horrible person. And then we start shaming ourselves the way we don't want to be shaming our kids. Right. And then what does that lead us to do? It leads us to shame our kids even more than we were before, because now we need them to measure up in order for us to feel okay about us. Ooh, there's a burden we don't want to put on our kids. And so you just have learned, Heather, we've watched this happen, Learning. to kind of take those steps back and say, okay, I can laugh at me. I can mm. welcome God's grace into me. We're work in progress here. And there's this big, huge cloud of dark cloud of expectation that we seem to carry around. And momming alone tends to reinforce it. Yeah. Because everybody's watching, right? And we're comparing ourselves to, the, to them whose kids act great in public when mine don't. And uh, so I don't okay. measure up. And so what's wrong with me? And then I go home and I beat myself up. And well, and she puts her highlight reel all over social media. Right, right, exactly. So I've got her right here Careful in my now. head. I've got her right here in my head all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to ask you, though, have you ever had anyone say to you, Heather, you are the, your family is the most stressed family I know? No. Okay, well, we did. So there you go. <laughs> the most stressed? <laughs> the most stressed family I know. Jim's sister said that the to us. The most stressed. Yeah, we you guys are the most mean. stressed family I know. I went, I know I'm the most stressed mom I know. <laughs> 
How many kids did you guys have? Well, three. you still have. Three, but three. three times four, or three times three, because we had someone, when we were thinking about having a fourth, say, let's see, you're three, and they, she was a teacher. She knew our kids well. She knew kids well. She said, your three is like having nine, so why would you want 12? And that's why we stopped at three. We took care of things that day. <laughs> I'm not, we don't need to go it's into the It's not in the audio. No one sees this in the audio. Do you want to know the, the, the nitty-gritty truth about that? Not this. No. No. No, we don't. Thank you. No, no. we don't. No, we made I, it so that we couldn't have babies anymore after yeah, that answer. Yeah, so we had a fourth. There you go. Um, <laughs> that took care of it. They've got 16. Uh-huh. Yes. And I should mention a little bit, Lynn has been coaching Bruce and I. I mean, it took us a long time because of all that's been going on. Y'all know in my family and my mom living with us last year, whatever. So we finally got through it, the parent coaching. Mm -hmm. But if you ever are thinking, I want Jim and Lynn in my ear all the time, that is an option that they do. And so Lynn is very familiar with our personal families. I got the scoop. She's got the scoop. (laughs) Not perfect, for sure. Very confidential. Um, But that does fit into a question of tell me a story of learning from mistakes. I feel like you've kind of addressed that. Learning from your own mistakes, do you want to? Well, yeah. No, it's worth, it's worth talking about. To just recognize, you know, that when we are humble with our kids and authentic, we are giving them one of the most valuable gifts that we can give them. And I remember one day trudging downstairs to where my son uh, in middle school had his bedroom. And I, as I'm walking, I'm going, okay, I'm probably 51% part of the problem here so I'd better take the initiative and going down the steps it was like well at least he's gonna know how to apologize well because I model it I have occasion to model it so many times when I blow it and I get down there and it was like poor consolation you know that I was trying to feed myself this line but I get down there and he's leaning back on his bed with his hands behind his neck and a big grin on his face and he says I was waiting for you. And I thought you, my first thought was you little stinker. And my second thought was he trusts me and that's a really big deal. And he has also had a journey of needing to do very much conflict resolution in his life and he's become wonderful at it. So it's a valuable gift to just go down there and say, I am so sorry, I blew it. Um, there's not an excuse. I want to reconnect. And you've got a good story about that as well. I mean, even thinking about uh, um, a new twist on my old story, because while Lynn was talking, I was thinking about a similar thing with with my daughter, who at age 25 was on a project with me. She does some photography and was helping us do some videotaping for the ministry, actually. And we were driving home from a thing, and I I was feeling pretty good about my presentation and pretty good about my, you know, here I am with my (laughs) 25-year-old daughter, and we're kind of having a dad-daughter date, and isn't this great? And So I figured I'd ask her, so Bethany, when you think back on me as a dad... (laughs) <laughs> wow, they're all too familiar with where they, this is going. I had, no, I had no idea this would happen. So she says to me, um, you know, I'm thinking, I, I mean, I did all these creative asked, things, you, and you I had so finish, much fun. You didn't ask you, finish asking your question. What was my greatest strength What was as my a dad? greatest strength as a dad, I asked her. What was my greatest strength as a dad? Oh, Dad, you and, were just so no, fun No, 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 not that at all. Because I was thinking to myself, I was so creative and was did so much teachable on the fly and so spontaneous and kept the kids, you know, kind of mostly in line with mom's structure. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
and without pausing, you know what she said? She said, Dad, you apologized well. Mm. And kind of, it was kind of like Lynn's story. It was like, oh, I didn't like how that felt. Like, that means that I, if she remembers that, <laughs> then that means that I, that I made a lot of mistakes to apologize for. And I kind of felt bad about that. But then I started to realize, and this is sort of this insight that's growing, is that her remembering that and calling that, you know, something I did well and watching the young lady that she'd grown into become at that point and still is becoming, it was like, maybe my humility was my greatest currency for influence to help her learn the lessons and the values and the things that mattered most. Because we all have high values. We have high aspirations as parents. We, want, we have great intentions. But how many of you have perfectly lived out your great expectations for yourself as a parent? No, none of us. And our kids need to know we're not perfect. They need to know that we can eat some humble pie. They need to know that we'll come back to them and say, hey, I blew it. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And get back to reconciliation in those relationships. And I mean, I honestly think that, that some of my best teaching was very unintentional based on the mistakes I made and the apologies that followed. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of them. <laughs> but then as we do that, too, to bring grace into it so it's not, oh, I'm the worst parent and I'm so sorry. But it's like, oh, God's grace is so good. Yeah. He forgives me. Will you forgive me? Isn't that wonderful? And to celebrate that grace, mm-hmm. that's a really important piece. It's good. We ready to apologize? wake the kids up when we get home no we're not doing that no we're not doing that Um, okay oh and one thing that I would say too that I loved in your coaching is the do over yeah Uh, it's a great idea that I've had I've used with our boys you mean you could talk about that no, I mean, I, I can think of many times when you, in particular, I think you're particularly good at this because you remember I need that. A, I need to do a lot of do-overs. Well, you're proactive. You remember to actually go do it. And I've seen you actually realize you approached it in a way that you regretted. And you literally asked for a do-over. And, and you even made it a little bit silly, walking backwards into mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then walk back in. And it's the humility that even comes with that approach yeah. that sets the stage for the yeah. reconnection. Yeah, yeah. K- kids sense that. Humility. Yeah, do you all out here know, and for the benefit of those listening, what we're talking about when we say a parent do-over? I mean, get to do it again. So the do-over, and, and, and you know, what you're talking about, Bruce, is, is the story that happened in my life. It's the one I often tell to Heather. Like, I realize, boy, I make a lot of mistakes. What am I going to do? Well, how about if I, when I make the mistake, instead of just saying, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again, and then go over here and feel bad about it, I just say, you know what, kids, I didn't like how I did that. I'm going to do a do-over. And so, you know, the prominent day before we ever even actually coined this idea and started teaching it, I just realized I needed to do a do-over. And I came in the house and I screamed at the kids for, because I was mostly stressed at work and, and hadn't done the thing that I talked about wanting to do earlier, or just settle down on the way home and be ready to come home present for what's going on. And I came in and they're arguing. And I, you know, what is wrong with you kids? You know I've had a hard, long day. And I had called earlier, so they would. And, and so, you know, they, they should know, right, that dad needs peace and quiet when he gets home. They should just know. So I, don't, I can't come home to this. This is not okay. And my oldest, Daniel. Dad, you didn't connect first. Exactly. There's Daniel. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're right. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? Can I do a do-over? And they're like, sure, do a do-over. And then it's like I, I did the same thing, you know, just walk back. You know, close the door, sit in the garage. Lord, give me your wisdom for my kids, for goodness sakes. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me to deal with them in that grace. And I walk in the door. 
Well, they're already calmed down because, you know, it's like, what's dad up to here? <laughs> this is weird, but it's kind of fun. And Kids, I see you've been having a hard, hard time here, and I've had a little bit of a hard day too. Do you want some help solving this, or could you quiet down, and, and if not, then maybe take it downstairs and solve it by yourselves? Because I need a little peace and rest here today. Unless you need my help, let me know. No, Dad, we got it. It's fine, thanks. And they laughed and giggled and solved their problem very easily. It was already solved, I think, by the time I got in the garage. But the power of the do-over, and we see this with parents all the time, like, I didn't like how I did that. Can I do it again? And there's, you know, there's brain science for why that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you physically experience the way you wished you had parented. And then you can celebrate at the end. That felt better to me. That feel better to you? Yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. High five. And then you end that whole interaction on a positive note. Whether, you know, and the more you model that, then the easier it gets to just invite your kids, well, that didn't go so well. Uh, do you want to try a do-over? You know, in a lighthearted way, you invite them after yep. you've modeled it a bunch. And it can just change the tone in a family and bring such grace um, into play because it's like it oozes grace to say we don't have to get it perfect the first time and with our God there are second chances and we can celebrate yeah. that. Okay so there are parents of young kids in the house. Raise your hand if you have kids in your house under the age of five. Holy mackerel. <laughs> the entire room just raised their hands. Wow. Um, we need to talk about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why there's so many questions. You yes. told me there's a lot of questions there's about toddlers and preschoolers. I'm like, that's because they're listening and that's, they need help. So the first one is, how do we balance having to discipline them and correct them so often, so often, especially when they're nonverbal? How do I talk to them about heart issues when they're two and three years old without it going over their heads? What are some simple ways, simple statements to use? Y'all are like nodding your heads, yes. Um, some of it is just to, to realize kids are going to make tons of mistakes and we don't have to make such uh, an issue over each thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a, a video of a mom, she, she recorded it for us, of her doing like a conflict resolution with uh, a three-year-old or a two-year-old and a five-year-old and it was just messy and it was disorganized and it was sort of like really quick and, and then they just moved on. You know, we feel like we either have to make a big teachable moment or there has to be a big consequence. And it's like, at this age, kids are experimenting a lot. Um, We've even got a post that's, it's not defiance, it's science. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, what happens? And oh, what happens? And what happens? And if I bite, we were talking about biters. And I was like, I think some of my kids, it was like, well, he didn't do it when I asked him. So maybe if I bite him, he'll give me the thing I want. Well, I mean, right. I think they're experimenting with they're biting. Experimenting, yeah. I didn't bite my kids. They didn't learn it from me biting them. <laughs> it was Bruce. It was Bruce, Bruce biting. Bruce was biting. He did bite a lot of kids. But... <laughs> when daddy bites, you yeah. know he's serious. But I think that that's really, I mean, you can take that identity thing, that foundational yeah. layer, and yeah. say there's something wrong with me as a mom because my kid's biting yeah. or my kid hit that kid. And I'm, it's like the scarlet letter of preschool is biting. I yeah. mean, really. Right, right. So. I actually there's mom it's shaming. It's, a, it's a, the scarlet B. Yeah, yeah. I like, actually they broke the skin. <laughs> uh, I actually coached a mom of a young child about biting. If you want a specific thing about that, and part of it again is you know start with the foundation. What am I believing about this? Oh, I have a child that's going to be you know a bully when they grow up, and we just extrapolate it into awful things in our mind, and then it becomes so emotionally loaded versus this is a child that 
does not have enough verbal skills yet to express how upset they are, and they um, biting is calming to the nervous system, so that's another piece of it, and it gets a big reaction, and there's all sorts of reasons why kids bite, and so, you know, just simply, uh, there was one child that I was coaching parents, and they changed preschools to where a preschool where the child was just sitting watching TV all the time to a preschool that was very active, uh, and the biting stopped. Because the child was trying to meet a big muscle need. So sometimes it's about that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just about, how can I encourage my child? And I, you, know, you see from across the room, the teeth flash. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, you know, they go into that pose and you know it's coming. And you go, wow, you're really mad. You know, you're keeping kids safe. So let's talk about how bad you are. And they're like, huh? <laughs> you know, or or just a child that tends to hit. If you can see they're getting mad, you know, to say, you're so mad, but you've got gentle, safe hands. That's so awesome. Let's talk about how to do respectful anger. And you kind of show them, because I'm thinking even yeah. respectful anger, do they know what that word? Just even, you know, keep kids safe while yeah. you're angry. Yeah. Um, we had hands are not for hitting, teeth are right. not for biting. We had all the, we read those so many times. Oh my gosh, still need to read them. I think we need to pull those out again. I mean, because it's but, this training of, it's a training when they're little too. Right. I think I liked what you said, like you're not projecting out. Mm-hmm. I think that's so hard when they're your first and you don't know that stages are stages. Right. They feel like forever. Yeah. They will never get out of the whiny stage. They will never get out. I mean, if you've watched Caillou, that's the whiny stage. That's the four-year-olds, right? Yeah. That is a four-year-old. And right. you just, they, they get out of it, they grow out of it. But in the moment, you're, you are just so infuriated and constantly correcting mm-hmm. the whining. Yeah, and if we, <clears throat> we think in terms of kids come into conflict with big aggressive impulses because they don't have the verbal skills to support it. And if we try to squash the aggression or we focus on how aggressive the child is, it, it keeps them stuck in that. But if we realize they need more verbal skills. And so to put a strong emphasis on teaching feelings words and teaching verbal skills and teaching simple scripts that they can use um, and putting those words in their mouth when you see from across the room that the child is raising the fist and you can go, you didn't like that they took your truck. Now that's going to get my attention. But if I... if from across the room, I yell, stop, don't hit. It's like, you don't care about me, mom. Yeah. So I'm going to hit. Yeah. And so it's that quick empathy, putting words in their mouth. And then maybe next time they'll be a little closer to saying, I didn't like that you took my truck. Yeah, yeah we tend, uh, I think especially with younger kids, to view that what they're doing is either all bad or all good. That's all bad, so i got to stop it right now and, and discipline it. Well, what is discipline, first of all? Discipline is, a, is teaching. It's engaging with authority to teach. Discipleship. At the core, it's about discipleship, right? And so um, when, you know, a three-year-old is biting, we think to ourselves, that is all bad. We need to make that stop. We need to do something that causes that child to stop when I say stop immediately. Now, first of all, I've always struggled with this idea of immediate obedience because I myself... I'm not immediately obedient much of the time. When I read the word, sometimes it takes a while for the word to seep in and for me to obey it. I still haven't got it. It's still a struggle. I ebb and I flow. So if I haven't got immediate obedience figured out, 
Who am I to demand it of a three-year-old? Who may not even be, by the way, disobeying. They may be doing the best they know how to do to communicate a legitimate need that they've got. So when I view things as all bad, I tend to miss the fact that there might be something behind the biting uh, that's a part of that that is like, wow, you have big muscle needs. God built you with big muscle needs. And I want to do some work to figure out how to help you get those big muscle needs met so that you don't feel like you have to bite in order to get them met anymore. And we've heard parent after parent after parent around that issue. You know, like put big motor stuff in the basement and make sure kids are getting big, deep back rubs on a regular basis from teachers or from whoever's big motor stuff, you think like trampolines and... Mm -hmm. Trampolines and, you know, all those different things. Get the sensory stuff taken care of. Um, But, you know, as kids start to grow, it's like, so the teenager... Bruce, could you be a... Do you have any familiarity at all with kids that are in the 10 to 12-year-old range who lip off at their parents? Yeah. <laughs> so I would love to do a little experiment with yeah. this if I could. Okay. Bruce, I'm going to be dad. I've asked you to uh, to clean up the dishes. You've got some reason for Literally. why you don't think that's a good idea that you haven't let me know about. And and I come in and I discover that the dishes aren't done. And I say to you, Bruce, the dishes aren't done. What is wrong with you? Didn't you listen to me this time? Can't you ever get this right? What are you going to say to me? Well, uh, it'll start with some sort of excuse. So do it. Okay, just do it. it. You are it. You are the person. Here, let's play it out. We're going to play. You are the Bruce. You get are... in here and do well, the this dishes. This just happened. Like, you may not ago. Okay. leave these dishes here again, Bruce. Um, I, have, I had to get homework done first. I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Bruce, you were neither doing homework nor in the bathroom just now. <laughs> That's true. This is true. So stop your lollygagging and clean up those dishes. Um, can I check my phone first? Bruce, this is not okay. You need to stop everything you're doing and put those dishes down or you're grounded from your phone. Come on, Bruce. Sass him. Sass him. Uh, I don't know. Well, you're, you're imagining the one that doesn't sass. You're imagining the one that... Because he's the one who actually does dishes. <laughs> yeah, he's the one that does... I don't trust I the other that. one with dishes. The one that doesn't sass. You're, 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 he's the excuser, but you've got to come up with the one who's like... Or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just generally just grunting. I mean, <laughs> like a lot of sound. Like, right, go so for it. I, I had to change kids for sure. Okay, change kids. Make your sounds. Do it. <laughs> Bruce, that is. And then, and then, Bruce, uh, stop it. That is not okay, and you know it. I stand up and I just stomp upstairs. <laughs> This is legit. And this I, happens. And then I look at Heather and, and say, Heather, disappear. what are we going to do with this kid? I don't know. And he slams the if door. this upstairs. goes on, this is going to lead to big trouble somewhere down the line. I'm usually the He one needs that to learn to listen right yeah. now. Right? Like, how many of you relate to that? Oh, good. It's and, not just And us. we've repeated these words. It's because I see what Bruce is doing as all bad. Well, guess what? Bruce opened the dishwasher. He got two or three coffee cups in there. And then he left a stack of dishes. What is it that keeps me, you, from, as, as parents, from, from saying to Bruce, Hey, Bruce, you got a good start on the dishes, buddy. Come on back in here and let's work on them together for a bit. It seems it's easy for you to get distracted sometimes, just like it is for me when I'm doing stuff at work. What is it that keeps us from doing that as a parent? It's this binary way of thinking. What Bruce did is all bad. Well, it's not all bad. It's, it's not good. 
It's not all good, for sure. But almost all of, like, we view behavior as either all bad or all good. When it's good, we're in the grocery store, our kids are behaving. We're, <laughs> I don't know, a great dad. <laughs> and then when they start to act bad, it's like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't believe what they did in the grocery store today, and it was terrible, it was the worst ever, and I'm never bringing them to the grocery store again. It's an exact quote from me. But you know, to, to use the... To use the, uh, the the very first question where you kind of address just the calmness and coming at him is, I think the only times it actually does work is if I, in that situation, if I get on my knee and I get almost even below their level mm-hmm. and I speak calmly, I make sure I have their attention, you know, yeah. in a respectful way. It's actually the only time I ever can actually think where you actually get to an outcome in a reasonable period of time with yeah. less emotional baggage. So yeah. when we come at our kids with, this is all bad, it puts them on the defensive um, it puts us on the defensive. It's a judgment that's not true. It's actually a lie. <laughs> and, and when we can sort of let go of that and go, okay, my son is struggling with this. Clearly, I haven't given instructions that have been helpful to him. Maybe he's discouraged. What if I do literally get lower than him and say, hey, Bruce, come here. Look at I noticed you got a good start. How can I help you get a few more dishes in this time? What are your ideas about that, buddy? Instead of having to, like, is that discipline? That's discipline. That's teaching. That's teaching a child in the way he should go so that when he's old, he won't depart from it. The notion that discipline has to be this pain infliction against all of the all bad things that my child does, believing that somehow the pain infliction is going to lead and motivate that child to want to somehow magically do good that they haven't yet been taught to do, is simply fallacious. It's not true. It doesn't, nor should it work. It might work to get our kids scared of us so that they do what we want them to do because they're scared, not because they think it's good or right for them to do it. And so that's where we have to be really careful about um, what do I do to make sure my kids obey me right away? It's good for them to obey us right away from time to time. And we need to bring out the mama and papa bear in us on rare occasions. So that when we do, they trust that we mean business this time and that it's because there's something really serious at stake here. But if my default is to get big and serious and pop a bearish over a toy in the kitchen and then I expect my child about a toy in the kitchen, are you kidding me? Dad acted like that about a toy in the kitchen? I can't take him seriously. And now I'm over here and he's about to run into the street in front of oncoming cars and I do that thing that I did in the kitchen and it's like, I I don't trust dad because he brings out big papa bear for no reason and then he runs into the street. And then I think, oh my goodness, why, why did this happen? Well, it happens because kids don't trust us implicitly because we're their parents. <laughs> they trust us because we earn their trust over time. And if, if the way that we engage with their misbehavior um, isn't at a level that that's, you know, feels like we're joining them and helping them learn, but controlling them, then they're not going to trust us. So we have to be careful about that. I'll get off my soapbox. I think it's great. There was a question. I know that toddler parents are thinking, and the street example fits in with that. Right. Sometimes you just need immediate compliance, and you can't. Uh, you just need to get in a car real quick, or stop them before someone gets hurt, or safety-wise. Right. So, how do you get their attention? Understand you mean business without disrupting that connection, or yeah. So some of it, um, like Jim said, is you are very careful about when you do that. But the other thing is you can go in with big connective energy. I think another example on the list was like when kids are going to, they're getting out of control and when kids are going to hurt each other. Um, We don't have to be mean to be strong. 
You know, you can rush in and go, stop it, you guys! Or, you know, start calm, stop it, stop it, stop it! You know, and you're still in the same place. But you can go running in really confident. Hey, you guys, let's get a hug here, because, you know, you're going to hurt each other, aren't you? Wow, this is really fun, but I'm worried for you, and I love you, and I don't want you to get hurt. Who wants to get hurt here, huh? Anybody want to get hurt? You know, you just... You go charging in with lots of big, loud, loving energy, and they trust you. So we, I was working on this principle with a coaching client and um, talking about big, connective energy. And they got home from the session, and the kids were out of control with the sitter. And they just went in, wow, this is really fun, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's like you have to kind of fly near them when they're up you know, on the stratosphere like this, and then you gradually bring them down for a landing versus standing, you know, on the on the ground and going, kids, children, children. So that's just, that's, that's, I think a, that's very wise. A, yeah. Uh, specifically about safety, we do have a blog post. Um, I think it was written from a question of you. Oh, yeah. A long I time was ago. at BSF right over here, yep. and a child of mine just took off, and yep. I kept saying, you have to stop, stop, and I kept saying it, and he just kept going. Right. So we address that in a blog post. Okay. Do you want me? I'll link to it it, uh, in the show notes when I make them. Okay. It's about safety. Okay. You had this piece of paper. Were you going to say something from it? Yes, this is my scripture notes. Um, Jim was talking about immediate obedience, and you know, there's a couple of things about that that you know we've we've heard so many parents say, "Well, I want my children to be immediate, immediately obedient, so that they will be immediately obedient to the Lord." And I just think that's not really how that works, because God wants us to thoughtfully be obedient out of love for Him. And there's the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21, 28 through 32. And the upshot of it is that, you know, the father gives a command. One son says, oh, sure, I'll do it. And the other son says, no, I'm not going to do it. And then he, over time, changes in his mind. And Jesus says, uh, which of the two did what his father wanted? And the Pharisees had to admit it was the one that took some time to be obedient. So we need to give our kids sometimes time to think things through and to um, become wiser in their in their choices. And that's where, you know, like Echo and Alexa, Alexa, set the timer for two minutes. Okay, guys, think about the two choices that I gave you and I'll be back in two minutes to see what you're decision was. We use Alexa timer like it is going out of style. Yeah, yeah. It, two or three going at the same time. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> oh, particularly around awesome. the cats and yeah. who's going to be holding the cats, Alexa. That's right. The timer that's for awesome. 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, one other scripture that I just think is key about this, and that's Luke one seventeen, and it's John the Baptist's job description, who has the most important prophet job in the Bible, right? And it says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to, and you might think it's going to say to obedience, but it doesn't. It says, and turn the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so as parents, can we have a vision for ourselves as parents to keep our hearts connected to our kids and then be passionate about growing them in wisdom and a wisdom that values, that the wisdom of the righteous values how wonderful God's 
commandments are to us. And so to help kids, you know, instead of, oh, you just never share that toy, or you're going to have to share that toy with your brother. Um, but like, oh, isn't it fun sometimes? It can be hard to share toys, but when we really put our heart into it, it's so fun to share toys. And it's so fun to be generous. And that's how God set it up. So we help kids embrace the wisdom of the righteous. And that really prepares the way for the Lord to come in our family in a strong way. I think we should talk about strong-willed children. (laughs) Because, I mean, I know we don't have much time left, but I just feel like sometimes we can use all these methods and there's still, I mean, a question too about oppositional defiant disorder, which is a legitimate thing. Just feels like there are more kids like this than before. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if they're being overdiagnosed, like with a lot of things people claim are being overdiagnosed, but... um, like a heels and the ground. It doesn't matter what of these methods or how kind or what big energy. There's just, they're not moving. They're not changing. Mm-hmm. Can I go? Yep. Yeah. So that's not to say this isn't a serious issue. Right. Because no, it they is. are right. legit. It yeah. is. But um, sometimes, and, and doctors across the board will say, we have these parents who want us to medicate their family's dysfunction. And we can't. And at the core, it's about connectedness. And what I did in my work with high-risk teens, who all of them had the labels and the medicines and the descriptions and had been in trouble with the law and at school and suspensions and, you know, you name it, was move toward difficult behavior with connection. We're going to make sure you know you're loved, you're valued, you're safe, you're God's workmanship. In fact, I used to all the time say to kids when I would, even, in a, even if it came out in a sort of a crooked way and learn about something cool about them, like, yeah, me and my buddies, we were down at the store and we stole a bunch of stuff and didn't get caught. <laughs> I'd say, wow, you're a piece of work. What do you mean? I said, well, if you're that crafty and you're able to do stuff like that and get away with it, God built you to do some cool things. And if you used those talents in ways that honored people and honored God, I bet you that would be really something. You're a piece of work. They'd look at me. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, I want to hear more of that and less of that other stuff that everybody says about me. In fact, one time I had a young person look at me. His hair was spiked. He had pierces. He had art all over his clothes and skin. And I did the similar sort of a thing when I learned about schemes that he had with his buddies. And I said that, and he looked up at me with tears in his eyes, and he says, nobody's ever said anything like that to me before. More than anything, when we can take the difficulty that we see in these difficult behaviors and say, wow. You've got a gift. If we can see it, and Lynn and I call this the gift gone awry, if we can find our kid's gift gone awry and call it out and give it a meaningful expression. Just saw this amazing video today, and it's on our Facebook page. Maybe you've seen it if you follow. Anybody see this today on, our, on the Connected Families Facebook page? But it's about this little guy who couldn't hold still in school, and he got in trouble, oh, got in yes. trouble, got in trouble, got in trouble. He's a motivational speaker now because one teacher saw through all of that and said, I, I think the reason you can't hold still is because you're, you're built to be a drummer. And he came, he opened his desk drawer and handed him a pair of drumsticks. And, the, you know, the guy in tears is telling this story as an oldster who now travels around the country leading drum seminars in schools for kids to say, there's something special about you no matter what people say. And it's true. And we're moving so fast and we need to get things done so quickly and efficiently and effectively with misbehavior and we want to make it stop that we forget to look for our kids' gifts gone awry. And I think that's a huge part of it. 
mm-hmm. but there's more. Yeah. Um, a lot of times strong-willed kids, especially if they're really little ones, you know, you hear moms talk about, oh, my two-year-old is so strong-willed. A lot of times those kids have sensory issues, and really underneath it all, they are more sensitive and they are more anxious than typical kids. And But, you know, if you, if you think quickly through the levels of the framework related to this, it starts in our foundation. What am I believing about my child? Am I believing, wow. I got a sensitive, intense child. <laughs> no. That's awesome. No. Jesus is sensitive and intense, so I'm so excited to have a sensitive, intense child. I haven't heard a lot of parents say no. that. No. We I'm often, like, why don't I get the easy? Why, right, why, the easy why didn't child? I get an easy one? What's yeah. wrong with this one? Yeah. His sisters doesn't give me any trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, so what am I believing about my child is really a starting place. And what am I believing about myself? I'm not a failure as a mom because I've got this really intense, strong-willed child. I am gifted by God to be this child's mom, and he's going to help me rise to the occasion of what this child needs. So that's that important starting place. And then Jim was talking about the connection. And I just talked to a mom the other day who had read a book all about strong-willed kids. And this is, I mean, she's, this is 10 years ago she read this book. And she said, you know what stood out to me? That I was frowning at my child way more than I was smiling. And my intense facial expression was about their negative behavior. And I started smiling more at my child, and it made all the difference. And that was the thing she got out of that book. So that's that connection piece. And then in the coach piece, um, it's about recognizing these kids often feel internally out of control. And that's why they're so controlling of others. Think about the times when you are most controlling and most domineering and most intense. (laughs) It's when you're feeling internally out of control, right? So recognize that in your child and recognize that kids that want to control you, control, run the family, dig in their heels, that they need more healthy power so they don't have to use unhealthy, so much unhealthy control. And these are the kids, and we have a section in our online course just all about this, the kids that need two you-can choices. Oh, buddy, wow, that's really important to you, isn't it? I get that. So here's the deal. You can do this, or you can do this. And they are like, I want three. I want choice number three. Oh, yeah? Well, sometimes kids do, they want choice number three because we come at them like, you can do this, or you can do that. Oh, yeah? I can do number three. I I don't want to do either. I want to do my own choice. Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But if we connect well and empathize and they really get the message, I'm understood, that decreases their need to go, no, I want choice number three. I don't know if it's true for anyone else that has a strong little child, but I have a hard time connecting. Like if I'm saying all the loving talk and I'm saying how capable they are and how amazing they are, they shut me down or are literally hiding under a blanket, Mm -hmm. plugging their ears I mean, the yeah. words aren't getting in. Yeah. They're like physically turning their bodies. You're patronizing me, mother. Yeah, it's like nothing yeah. is being received. Right. So it's not even like you can get to a connecting place. Yeah. Because and they are, again, taking control and saying, I'm not even going to connect with you because I'm so mad at you. Right. And um, if the context that you're saying all that, you know, when they're struggling, then they're defenses are going to be more up. But a lot of times those kids are so discouraged because they sort of get a sense of I'm the black sheep in the family that then to trust what somebody says 
nice about you is a really vulnerable thing. So like I'm really like fashion insecure. <laughs> and so when I get compliments on something that I wear, I'll go, oh yeah, I got a goodwill. You know, it's like I'll just, I, I can't go, oh, why thank you, I know. <laughs> you know, it's too vulnerable. Yeah. And so um, if a kid is really discouraged about who they are, they're going to put up So this. how do you get past that? How do you yeah. encourage them about So, so um, we often will ask parents this question. So I hear you. I hear you saying that connection is really difficult with that one. So if zero on the scale, I'm going to ask you a scale question, just like the pain scale at the doctor, only this is about relationships. If zero was I have no connection with that child whatsoever, and where 10 is, you know, I mean, it's, he's a little quirky and different than me, and it's hard, but you know what? He knows and I know we love each other. It's just a little harder with him than it is with the other kids. We ask parents this question all the time. What's your number? Rarely do parents say zero. Rarely. We get a lot of ones and twos. Like a one or a two. Okay, well, what happens between zero and one or two that keeps it from being a zero? What have you done to connect? What are the ways? Well, he likes text messages, and he likes... He likes a certain kind of video on YouTube, and sometimes I sit next to him and I just watch. He likes video games. I hate video games. He likes video games. But when I sit with him and watch the video games, it seems to, things seem to go better, and it seems to feel, okay, so whatever it is you've discovered about how you connect that keeps your number from being a zero, you already know how to do that. I can't tell you some new thing that is strange and foreign to you. You already know it. If it works, and this is a simple principle, actually comes out of the solution-focused therapy tradition, if any of you are interested. But if something works, then find out what it is and do more of it. Don't try to do this new thing that you've never done before, that you're comparing yourself to somebody else, and they do it better than I do, so I should do it like he does it or she does it. No, you've discovered this thing that works for you and between you and your child to connect, so discover that and do more of it. And then notice that it worked. Hey, uh, that was fun sitting next to you watching video games. Thanks for letting me do that. And for these kids who feel patronized and who kind of shove away the, the compliments and the good, you know, the good-natured affirmation, it's, you don't say, hey, I love doing that with you. Thank you so much. Because they're like, oh, I'm not doing that with you again then. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I valued that. I learned something. Appreciate it. Yeah, matter of fact, objective. Hmm. Yeah. I noticed that went pretty well with your brother the other day. You guys really shared those toys. Pretty cool. So before we leave this conversation, because I want to go on for days, one last thing is um, someone's tantruming in public. Someone being the child. (laughs) (laughs) Someone being the child is tantruming at Target. I'm just saying. I mean, maybe Target, unless you do pick up curbside now. But advice, because this is going to happen this week for most of this room. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have a vivid memory of that, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got it, too. And we'll just think back up through the framework real quickly. Back, yeah. Start with foundation, ladies. And <laughs> There's gentlemen. some guys in here, too. There's gentlemen, some dads in here who are men. not momming alone. That's yes, right. they're not. They're helping yes. their, yep, their yep, spouse. Yep. She's awesome, For by sure. the way. Um, just that whole thing of my child's behavior is not my report card. So, so if they're flipping out, that does not say I'm a bad mom. Right, exactly. And I remember one time, one of my kids was in Target flipping out. I took a breath. I remembered my child's behavior. It's not my report card. And then I took another breath and I went, this is another chance to practice getting my value from Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And it really did calm me down. 
And then it's like, um, you know, there's research about tantrums. And if we try to come in with our logic, that escalates it. If we try to come in with our control, that escalates it. Uh, some people suggest just stepping over the child. I can't get behind that and ignoring them. But the thing that is most has been shown to be most helpful, and Harvey Karp with his happiest toddler on the block talks about speaking simple, clear empathy statements for the child. You really so what is the child I mean, over? they want the car's nightlight. I mean, that might have been an example in my life. Might have been, yeah. At the checkout, they want the, the nightlight that's shaped like uh, Lightning McQueen. Oh, wow. And I said no. You, yeah, I know. That's, that's, you're really disappointed because you love that thing. It kind of sparkles and glows and... If they don't even hear you, they're flipping out. Oh, yeah, you're really mad. I know, it's hard. But you know what? Even when you're mad, I love you. We'll talk when we get home. (laughs) And and you just, like, like, leave? Do you leave? The thing is, you can't control your child. Sometimes empathy statements are enough to really begin that calming process, and sometimes they're not. And tantrums really, you know, if you think of a tantrum, for all of us, it's just leftover from the days when all we could do was cry to let mom know we needed help. And when we vent and kids scream, it decreases their internal distress. So, um, and it, then it gets mom on board to know that I have a problem. So it's a behavior that starts as a really important life protecting behavior when they're babies. And we just have to teach them other skills. Um, so I have a good scripture to read to guide this. Okay, good. That will wrap for us, whether you are the one having the tantrum. And yeah. I, I remember the day that I went out in the garage and I screamed so loud because I was so mad that my voice hurt. So then I kicked a tire and I hurt my foot. <laughs> you know, so it's like I was having my own little meltdown. And God was just right there with me. So um, this is Psalm 73, around the 20s. Um, it says... And the psalmist is having a tantrum. And I love this scripture. It says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Doesn't that sound like a tantrum? And then he goes on, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with, my count- with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So you look at the role of God in that tantrum. He wasn't phased by it. He didn't give in to it. He was just there. And when the energy subsided, he was able to bring wisdom and insight to his tantruming child. And I think so many of the tantrums get fertilized because we put our intense energy into stopping it right now and controlling the situation. And then the child controls us and learns that, well, at least if I don't get the nightlight, I get mom's intense attention and I get to control her emotions and that's enough payoff for the day. So as we can be like the father in Psalm 73, we can equip our kids to learn a better way. It's good. Anything, so Jim? Heather's looking at me like, Jim, do you have one more thing? We have one more thing. <laughs> we we, we got to go. So how awesome is it to be a little younger than Lynn and to have grown up with her as sort of a parenting mentor? But I was uh, 
you know, with my tantruming two-year-old, it wasn't Target, it was the big mall in Minnesota. Maybe you've heard of it. Mall of America, you mean? <laughs> yeah, doesn't it have, like, its own Actually, airport? no, it wasn't. It was Southdale. It was, it was, Southdale. Oh, it was before the mall. It was, it. it could have been, but it wasn't. Before it the, mall We're in the mall of the mall. And he was fixating on the train, and he wouldn't come out. And I told him, if you don't come with me right now, I'm going to leave you here, right? <laughs> I said that. And he didn't care. He, in fact, I'm not even sure he heard it because he was so fixated on the He was sprint. happy. Cool. I he get to play by myself. Like, great. Leave me leave here. Me alone. Jeez, get out of my so hair. I, out. I looked in the window. He didn't care. He was unfazed. He, did, he wasn't scared or concerned at all. He would have stayed there all day. I'm like, oh. And I went there. I said, Daniel, you have to come now. And he said, no. And he flopped down on the floor and started kicking and screaming. And I picked him up, kicking and screaming, carried him out to the parking garage, and I spanked him. And I cried because of what I'd just done. And I determined I would never do that again because I, all I did was used my son to control my emotions. And it didn't work. And I came home and we talked about it. And he was really young, but he remembered that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And our kids, whether they... And he was strong-willed. And so he continued <laughs> to fight out in all kinds of... Kids who aren't that strong-willed They'll just get scared enough to not let that happen again. But they haven't, I didn't earn any of my son's respect that day, I'll tell you that. And yet, so, and, and this is kind of the point I want to make, I did the only thing I knew how to do that day. Mm-hmm. I've learned to do a lot more since. I learned, mm-hmm. that motivated me to learn a better way, to learn to think this through. We were just starting to develop these ideas at the time. Actually, we hadn't had, the framework wasn't in place yet, but we were just starting to think about parenting and high-risk kids and all of that. And we just got determined. We want to be the parents God built us to be because in today's day and age with all the craziness that's going on, these kids need a form of discipline that's not just about punitive correction, but that's about a whole way of life that teaches our kids how to be followers of Jesus, how to be humble, how to walk by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against those things, there's no law. And by the way, if you catch a brother in sin, just a couple verses after those are in in Galatians, restore that person gently. Restore that person gently. That verse is spoken to us for a long time. Mm -hmm. Gentle, gentle. In the fruit of the Spirit, come alongside our kids. Don't control, don't demand. They get enough of that. We have enough of that inside of us by the sin nature that we've got. So anyway, that's what I wanted to say about that. Now we're all going to go home. Get new mercy in the morning. Amen to that. This is a great conversation. We'll have more from tomorrow's conversation. Y'all can listen to. They'll be up on the podcast in a couple weeks. But thank you, Jim and Lynn, for being on the show again. Thank you all for being a part of it. Okay, because this is so long, I'm going to keep this short at the end. I hope you've gone over to don'tmomalone.com and at least checked it out. My friend Ted, who I went to college with, is the designer of the site over at Contemplate Design. and He's done a fabulous job, and I don't want you to miss it. I'm going to be adding things this week that I've been wanting to add and hadn't had time for. Uh, But thank you again for listening to this. Thank you again for inviting one friend, for being that ambassador against loneliness. Y'all did such a great job last week. I saw so many different posts on Instagram and Facebook where you shared your favorite episode or where you told people about the show. And I think that's awesome. I think if you really, really have been encouraged, the best 
kindest thing you can do for your friends is encourage them as well. And this is an easy way to invite them into that witness of God's presence in their life and their parenting and the mentorship that's available to us and the friendship that we get to walk alongside each other in this mothering journey. All right. Stick around next week. I will have the second e uh, afternoon we recorded with Jim and Lynn, where we're going to talk about relationships, sibling rivalry, connecting as a family, getting along on the same page with your spouse. It's all great. And then the week after that, Candace Cameron will be on the show. We're just going to finish up October with a bang. All right, y'all have an awesome, awesome week, and I thank you again for listening. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to DontMomAlone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, he said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.